0: Wow, today is our first Sunday of Advent and uh, I've got uh, a whopper of a message for you today. And I hope that you have the hope to listen to all of it because it's gonna bring something I think that's gonna help to plant a seed in your heart, not just for the season, but for every day of your life that you live. You know, when we ask Jesus Christ into our hearts, there's so many things that we get through that exchange and I'm gonna to show to you today multiple proofs through the scripture that we receive hope when we receive Christ. And when we receive hope, we not only just have a foundation that's built on faith, but we have a hope that's built on love and expectation of what God has designed for us for our future. You know, I know that so many people live their lives and in a secret hopelessness that if other people knew the way you were thinking or what you're feeling, that you would be almost somewhat embarrassed as a believer to let people know that there's a, a great amount of hopelessness in your life. Today, I want to encourage you that when you have Christ, you have hope. How many times have you said and had a conversation with other believers when you know friends or family or neighbors or somebody who's going through some kind of massive tragedy or event in their lives and you say, how do people go through these events without Jesus? How do people go through things without a church family? How do people go through things without uh, some kind of expectation that not only will that event end, but there's a, a chance that life could even be better on the outside of the event or difficult situation or circumstance? Well, I have good news for you today that even when Israel was in a place of discouragement and despair in the Old Testament, God spoke a word of encouragement to them that laid forth what future hope was going to look like, and our hope always rests in Jesus Christ. And so when it comes to this time of Christmas and our celebrations, and all of the things that we think of, I want to begin to paint a picture today that says, hope is the picture of our future, amen? That Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith, that he is the one that has opened the doors for us to have this hope that I'm going to talk about today, and God knows that we all need something to look forward to. Now, if you look at Webster's Dictionary and you look at a biblical definition of hope, they have some differentiating uh, degrees that I just want to point out to you. Because it matters to know that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. In the dictionary definition, Webster says this, that the de- definition of hope is a feeling of expectation and a desire for certain things to happen. Now, I don't know about you, but if I went through life operating on my feelings, a lot of times I would feel like not doing things. I would feel like things aren't gonna work out. I would feel, because see, our flesh, when we when we allow our feelings to dictate life, we Put ourselves into a place to where we have to make something happen. And the good news about true hope is, is that it's not based on feelings. Amen. How many of you would say, "Thank you, Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen? Amen. But the reality is is that the biblical definition of hope is this: that our hope is a calm. And peaceful confidence of expecting something good. good. It's a calm and peaceful expectation that we can count on something uh, something good that's going to happen. Now, why can we be peaceful and confident? Because our confidence is not in ourselves, but our confidence is in our Savior. And by the time I'm done today, I want to paint a picture for you that you're going to begin to understand what God's mentality was all the way back into Isaiah when we read the scripture that is so familiar about unto us, that scripture, but I want to read it in a different context. Turn with me, if you would right now, to Isaiah chapter 9. When you have it, just let me know. What's going on here is Israel is facing a bunch of challenges. And I'm going to go backwards just a couple verses into Isaiah chapter 8 and just read starting in, in verse 20, because it kind of sums up the text of where Israel was at that moment. Because I want you to see that God saw where Israel was and that he was putting forth a plan to make a change. Now... How many of you realize that by faith we know that God will stand and do something? But how many of you also know that faith and hope are not the same things? Faith is believing in something currently that can come to pass because of what you know about God. Hope is knowing that when you stand on that faith that you can expect something in your future to be different. Do you understand what I mean? Faith is something that you build on a current expectation. Hope is something that you know through that faith is going to make your future different. Now, in verse 20, in in Isaiah chapter 8, and I'm not going to go through a, a whole litany of building the history behind this, but I just want you to get a sense. It says, look to God's instructions and teaching. People who contradict his word are completely in the dark. What, what they're talking about here is that there is building tensions between flesh and God and, and, and kings and, and what is right to do and people living in the dark means that they're not living in the light and so they're moving through uh, worldly expectations and, and what the writer here is saying that people who contradict God, they're walking completely in the dark. They will go from one place to another weary and hungry. And because they are hungry, they will rage and curse their king and their God. They will look up to heaven and down at the earth. But wherever they look, there will be trouble and anguish and dark despair. They will be thrown out into darkness. Now, let's look at Isaiah chapter 9, because this is how God starts to display what hope is going to look like. And this is what the the writer always says. I love this word. Let's say it together. Let's look at 9. Let's say nevertheless. 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 In other words, that it doesn't matter what was just written, what was just said, what was, uh, is happening in that moment, because we know that nevertheless, somebody else is ultimately in control of all of the destiny of life. Now, hope comes in our lives when we build our faith in the nevertheless. Nevertheless, it says, That time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. How many of you would say you're in the midst of something right now that you would say a big hallelujah that it's not going to go on forever? Amen? Oh, I got good news for you. I got good news for you about time and destiny and those things that hope eliminates for us. (laughs) Listen to this. The land of Nebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, But there will be a time in the future. This is what hope is. Listen to me. Hope is about a time in the future. One of the things that I learned very early in my marriage was, is that we needed to always have something to look forward to. Our children needed something to look forward to. Uh, uh, Life needed something to look forward to. And it's why we, every year, we did a vacation. We, it might not have been a, a, a grand vacation. It might have been a trip to Tammy's parents in Virginia where we had free lodging and free food and, and you could do all the free things in Washington, D.C. But at, at the beginning of the year, we knew on August 3rd that week that we were going to uh, go on vacation. Why, why is that important? Because it always builds something to look forward to. When you always have something to look forward to, the days of preparation of getting to the thing that you're going to do, they have a different viewpoint. When we take a team on a missions trip, we do multiple meetings before that trip, but that date of that trip is set out in front of us and it makes the preparation exciting to do. When you have a future event of knowing a God, who is able to do more than you can ever imagine, and your hope is built on nothing less than that, then you know that your future is in his hands. Oh, I can't talk about time right now. So anyway, it says there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. Now, this is a a lot of a statement here because there is no glory happening right now. But there will be a time in the future when that happens. Verse 2, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. I was in my office this morning looking out um, uh, early this morning. The clouds were were all uh, blocking the light. I was looking down, reading my word. I looked up and it was like somebody flipped on a switch outside the sun broke through the clouds, there was a total different demeanor. How many of you know after several days of cloudiness when the sun breaks through, it just does something to your inside, your your hope, your excitement. And this morning when God flipped on the light and the sun broke through the clouds, there was just something that lifted inside of me. And this is what God is saying. He said, those people who walk in darkness, I'm gonna flip on a light. And they're going to see a great light. Those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift a heavy burden from their shoulders see this is what God does God is a breaker of yokes he says come unto me all of you who are uh, are burdened and heavy laden and I will break your yoke I will give you peace And see, we're building up to where he's going to talk about the Messiah who's going to ultimately come and be the hope of, of all mankind, not just for a specific time, but for all time. All time. And see, that's why we as believers, we have the opportunity to have more than just faith, that we can also have hope. Uh, and you will break the oppressor's rod, just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms, blood-stained by war, will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. Now here, here's what led up to this whole verse. For unto us, let's read this together. For unto us a child is born to us, a son is given to us, The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Now when you see what built up to that verse, it begins to paint a little different picture. Verse 7 says this, here's the assurance of things to happen. His government and its peace will never end. How far is never? How long is never? It's it's an eternal thing. See, when we as believers have a sense in our hearts that we live in an an eternal existence and always having a a, a knowledge of God is the God of that eternity, that we always have a different kind of hope for our future. Caleb was talking about the the scripture about pressed down, but not destroyed. We, We might be pressed down, but hope ensures us that we're not destroyed. See, what enables us to be not destroyed is our hope in the future event, knowing that God will not allow that to happen. See, hope is a powerful weapon, and you need to understand that Jesus Christ is our hope. He is our hope. He controls our destiny. And his government and its peace will never end. He will rule with what? Fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. Now, listen to this last part here. It says The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will what? Will make this happen. See? This is all they had to rest on, because what they were in is the midst of darkness and destruction. But God released a word to them that said, don't be in despair. Don't be discouraged. Don't let your faith crumble, because I'm giving you a word to hold on to, that there will be a day when a Savior will be born, and you can rest your confident hope upon him. How powerful was hope? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. We're going to just flip through a couple of scriptures here. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Once again, very familiar text. But I think we have to remind ourselves as we're building. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says three things will last forever. Three things will last forever. Look at the order here. It says the first thing is faith. Faith will last forever. The second thing it says is hope. It says hope will last forever. And the third thing is it says love will last forever. And it says, and the greatest of these is love. It might be the greatest, but it's one of the three that will last forever. Turn with me, if you would, to First Thessalonians. Excuse me, First Thessalonians. And let's look at chapter 1, verse 3. Chapter 1, verse 3. Remember, the definition of hope is a confident, a calm, peaceful, confident expectation of good. Now, this is a greeting that Paul is giving to the church in Thessalonica. And he says this in verse 2. He says, we always... Thank God for all of you and pray for you consistently. Listen to what they pray. As we pray to our God and Father about you, he's going to outline the three things in 1 Corinthians 13 that we just spoke of. He says that when we think of you, we think of your faithful work. When we think about faith, we see that faith oftentimes turns into A realm of work because what we're having faith for is something that we feel like God would have us to do or to be in his kingdom. And by faith, we know that when he opens a door that we have uh, the energy and the effort and the work to, to carry out what he's called us to do. The second thing is, is we see it says, We pray for your loving deeds. In other words, there was action behind their love. And the third thing that he says in this line of scripture, it says that we pray for your enduring hope because uh, you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and has chosen you to be his own people. For when we, were, when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave full assurance that what we said was true. And you know of our concern for you the way we lived when we were with you. And you received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of severe suffering it brought you. In this way... You imitated both us and the Lord. And as a result, you have become an example to the believers in Greece and throughout Macedonia. Now, here's the interesting part that he's saying here that you had enduring hope because you had a lot of suffering in the process of the enduring, or the the faith and, and the love and the deeds and the actions, and you did that in the midst of persecution. But when it talks about enduring hope here, I want to read from you what my word wealth says about that word hope. It said, hope not in the sense of an optimistic outlook or wishful thinking without any foundation, but in the sense of confidence expectation based on solid certainty biblical hope rests on god's promises particularly those pertaining to christ's return now listen the first thing that built our hope was on the coming of christ and that people hung their hats on the idea That God said in Isaiah 9-6 that he was going to remove the people from darkness, bring them into the light, and they had hope because of a Savior. His name was Jesus. For years, history waited upon this Savior. And when he finally came, they knew that they could take what they had built because of their faith, and now see the things that were prophesied, and then they could even hold on to the future that this Savior would bring because of all the things that were prophesied because of him. See, our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is in knowing that uh, he will return. At their particular time, their hope was built on the fact that he would go to the cross for them. We live in the time of the death, burial, and resurrection. We live in the idea of the second coming, and we can have great hope because we know that he will return again. And in that hope, we see things differently. So certain is the future of the redeemed that the New Testament, listen to this, it speaks sometimes speaks of future events in the past, tense. In other words, as though they had already been accomplished. Hope is never inferior to faith, but it is an extension of faith. Faith is the present progression of grace. Hope is confidence in grace's future accomplishments. So we see that we're setting the table here in Isaiah Uh, chapter 9, that there was something set forth that was going to change the destiny of all of the people of Israel, removing them from darkness and bringing them into light. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Peter. Let's progress in this and let's ask ourselves, how does hope come to us? How does hope come to us? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because we live in the season that brought us hope. This is what makes Christmas so stinking amazing. It is the season of hope. Now I know that most scholars think that Jesus was born sometime in September. And we can do a trail and we can think of all that stuff. And it went along with some feasts and the times of harvest. But I'm glad it's December 25th. Because... December builds something in me, a a great hope and expectation that as I focus on this child that was born, I'm going to go into 2020 knowing whose hands that year is in. Come on on now, listen, 2020 is not in your hands. It is in your Savior's hands. We serve the God of the future. We serve the God of destiny. And because of that, we don't operate in a time frame that if something doesn't happen exactly according to where we want it to, we have no hope for the destiny that we have. We live in an eternal time frame that gives us hope to know that God is always the God of our future. Let's look at at 1 Peter 1.3. This, again, is a greeting that Peter is bringing, and he says this, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again. Follow the trail here. First of all, the first sign of of hope came through the acknowledgement of years before, now, this is where we get hope. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. Or the New King James says, we live in great hope. We have a priceless inheritance. An inheritance that is Kept, that word kept, we've talked about this before, is the same as a regiment of soldiers protecting something. We have an inheritance that is protected in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. Where does our hope come from? Our hope comes from salvation. When you ask Jesus Christ into your life, this eternal hope is what comes as as a relevant gift from that salvation, why? Because now we have a belief in something that lives inside of us that is greater than anything else that is in the entire world. We have a hope because through salvation, we know that the one whom we believe in was at the beginning of time creating the the whole world. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was creating for God. We know that in salvation, we have a confident faith. Where does our hope come from? Where does it come from? It comes from salvation. It comes from being born again. It comes from having a new new life. We receive this hope because we don't live in the time of hoping that the baby was born. We live in the time of the resurrection. And so the Bible says that we live in a great hope. If you look at the New King James, it says that uh, our new birth brings us into a living hope. It is current. It is something that we're walking in. It comes through the resurrection. Now, let's move on to 1 Peter in verse 13 here. Okay, it says this, So think clearly and exercise self-control. Look forward to the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is what? Revealed to the world. The second thing that we see is that not only is our hope in the idea of having salvation, that our hope is based on the reality that he has came once, but he will what? He will come again. So when we look at the idea of how he will come again, we have to understand that this removes us from the penalty of time. What do I mean by that? We are so transfixed with time. Time, as, as we walk in the, the things of time, our daily existence, the things that we hope for, they're all based on a time frame. But when you have a hope of Jesus coming again and knowing that you're going to live with him for eternity, it creates a different atmosphere in the way you view life. I've said this so many times when 45 year old men come to me and they talk about their needing a new Camaro because they're in the midst of a midlife crisis. I say, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior? And they'll say, well, sure I have. And I'll say "Then I got good news for you. You are not having a midlife crisis because you are still a babe in the idea of eternal existence. You're going to live forever. You don't have to hope in a Camaro to bring you joy. You have a Savior that has prepared a mansion for you in heaven, and your Camaro will pale in comparison. Hold on. Have hope because he's going to return again. See the difference. In the idea of what we hang our hats on. What we place our hope in. Turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 3. I want to just look at something that the writer of Hebrews says. Hebrews 3. Starting... starting in verse 5. Hebrews 3, 5 says this. Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant. His work was uh, uh, an illustration of the truths God would reveal later. But Christ, as the son in charge of God's entire house, and we are in God's house, if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in christ okay what is the writer of hebrews going to say let me let me read some more the holy spirit that is why the holy spirit says today when you hear his voice do not harden your hearts see god is giving us an antidote to when discouragement comes in he says be confident in your hope in Christ. See, what happens so many times when life begins to break down, we lose our confidence that God is really there for us. We lose our hope because we only view things with our natural eyes and we don't stay focused on the things that our spirits are aware of. You know, folks, there are times when Even David would speak to his flesh and tell it to arise. There are times that we have to uh, 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 dig deep into our spirit man for it to conquer the things of the flesh because in our spirit rests that confident expectation of everything who Jesus is when we asked him into our hearts. And it says this, don't harden your hearts as Israel, when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness. What happened in the wilderness? There were so many things that they were losing hope for that they would ever come into a what? A promised land. To what was promised them. Was it God? who kept the israelites wandering for 40 years in the wilderness or was it god when he called them out of egypt that had already prepared the place for them to be now listen to what i just said god has prepared and you can be confident in the next thing that he has in store for you the next good thing that's in store for you it's your choice to move into that through a confident hope in who he is or you can begin to stay focused on your circumstances and wander in whatever wilderness you're in for as many years as it takes you to humble yourself and say God my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. So the writer in Hebrews is reminding us that we need to not harden our hearts and go through wildernesses. There your ancestors tested and they tried my patience. How many times have you been in front of God and you have felt like you've tried his patience? Listen, my personality type is is seemingly always wanting to try God's patience. But it's not because of a heart of rebellion. It's because I just want to see more, do more, press in for more. But the reality is, is that I don't want to try his patience. I want to trust his promises. There's a difference between trying his patience and trusting his promises. We try his patience when we stop reading his word and depending on what he says. I always say to people when they're in the midst of a internal conflict, I, I say to them, when is the last time that you got out your word and and really dug into the word? And most people in conflict will tell me that the conflict has wore them out so much that they don't have the time, effort, or energy to dig into their word. Isn't it interesting how the enemy knows that when we come in contact with God's words, we come in contact with his promises, we come in contact with a reevaluation of our salvation, and then we hold fast to those promises, and it brings what? Hope for our future. Our future and our hope is built through God's words. So I was angry with them, and I said, their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took an oath, and they will never enter into my place of rest. Be careful, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning away from the living God. Turn with me, if you would, as we close to Hebrews chapter 6. Oh, I love this. I love this section of Scripture here. Thinking of this succession of events. Isaiah chapter 9. Unto us a child is born. Wanting to remove the people from darkness and bring them a light. We live in that season where that child was born. We got to see Jesus' 33 years here on earth to build a confidence, to build a hope. We know that through his death, burial, and resurrection, the Bible says in Isaiah, uh, or, or 1 Peter 1, 3, that our faith, we can have faith, and, uh, and, uh, or we know that hope comes to us, in other words, because of our new birth, because of salvation. We know that we continue to hold hope and disband time because we know that he's going to come again. We know that we have we can stand on his grace because his promises are yes and amen. Verse 13. For example, there was God's promise to Abraham. Since there was no greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name, saying, I will certainly bless you, and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. You are walking in the promise of Abraham. You might not realize it, but you are walking in the promise of Abraham. You know what you're also walking in? The promise of resurrection. And when Jesus Christ started the New Testament church, he poured out his Holy Spirit to us so that we would have something to fuel the hope that he has given us. He said, you're not going to walk as orphans. See, an orphan spirit strips you of the hope that you need to look into the future. Orphans work to survive every day. But those who have a father, they know that they have a future and that they can hang their hats on that hope that that father gives. Our father is God. Now listen, then Abraham waited patiently. Sometimes hope requires us to wait. But see, in his waiting, he received what God had promised. How many of you realize that sometimes when you sacrifice the good for the best, that you don't always get what God had intended for you? What do I mean by that? A- Abraham stepped out on his own and he ended up with Ishmael. And the effects of Ishmael live with us even to this day. We have to wait patiently. In hope, knowing that God has our best interest at heart. Now, when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. Would you stand with me? God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. Folks, God is not going to change his mind. He still loves you. You're still a part of his inheritance. He's still your father. You're still walking by grace. So God has given us both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge. What a great statement that is. How many of you all have fled to him for refuge? Amen. I knew that there was no place I could go for the forgiveness of my sin. And one day, man, I ran to him for the refuge. That only he can bring powerful words. Who have fled to him for refuge, we can have great confidence as we hold to the hope. Listen, as we hold to the hope that lies where? Before us. Every step that we take into our future, it's in God's hands. That is the hope that is before us. Listen, this hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. Amen? It's a strong and trustworthy anchor. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary That baby died on a cross and tore the veil so that through the tearing of that veil, we could have confidence and a hope to know that now nothing separates us from that perfect, relationship that God can have with us because it was restored through that baby so that we could have what was intended for Adam and Eve now is ours again let me ask you is your hope built on nothing less than Jesus blood and righteousness let this be a time As we begin this Advent season, that we say yes to salvation, yes to faith. We say yes to everything God has. We say yes to his promises. And we say yes, I am going to be confident in the hope that I have for my future. Because my hope is in his hands. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for everything that it represents. I thank you for the beauty and the aura that we are moving into in this season of celebration, this season of re-acknowledgment, this season of saying yes to that baby that was born in a manger but grew up to be a man and died for my sins. We say yes And we have a confident expectation that because we are born again, that we have a destiny that is eternal and that we have a great hope for the future that is set before us. Father, change the way we think. Let us not be so focused on today that we lose our great hope for tomorrow. Great is your faithfulness, O God. And we know that it's unto us. So, Father, today, let us move into our Christmas season, celebrating with new hope about our future. And, Father, we just give you praise in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said... Can we give the Lord a praise offering? The one who holds...